Well, good morning. Have you noticed how styles change? I mean, things go in and out of style, sometimes faster than I can get on board to be in style. But it's crazy. You know, I've dressed the same way since 1980. <laughs> I've had my Reebok sneakers, my polo shirt, Levi's, same hairdo, except now my hairline is receding a little bit and getting a little thin on top. But I've had the same style since 1980, and three separate times I've been in style. <laughs> I don't know if I'm in style right now, but, uh, you know, think, think about that greasy hair product Burl Cream. How many remember that? Yeah. I used Burl Cream probably two years after it was out of style. And I wonder if anyone else has had the same experience that I've had, where you reach for the, the toothpaste, you know, before you brush your teeth and you grab the Burl Cream by mistake. Ugh. You know, it was marked with that, that slogan, a little dab will do you, and it would do you. Uh, don't even get me started on skinny jeans and, and beehive hairdos. I'm so glad those are out of style. I could never fit into those skinny jeans. When a world of constant change, not just in fashion, but in opinion, philosophies, and religion, there's one thing that never changes, never goes out of style, and that's God's word. Our mission statement is written on the wall, right on the back wall, uh, above the door. Has anybody noticed that? If you haven't, just turn around right now and let's see that Living Word Chapel exists to love, empower, and transform people with and through the Living Word. That's our guiding light. It's central to who we are. Because God's word is alive and it's powerful. It has the power to go into the depths of our hearts and produce a kind of fruit that only God can produce. Speaking through the prophet Isaiah, God said, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In Hebrews, we read that the word of God is alive and powerful, that it's sharper than the, the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between uh, soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and our desires. And so these passages explain that through his word, God speaks into every area of our life, into those deepest areas where we need him the most, and he speaks exactly what we need to hear. God's word has the power to meet those unseen spiritual needs as well as the practical physical needs. In John 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying to his father for his disciples, and for everyone who will believe because of their testimony. 
And he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. I looked up that word truth in the dictionary, and it means that which is in accordance with fact and reality. So the word of God, which is true, best explains reality. However, in a, a postmodern society which says that there's no such thing as absolute truth, it's kind of like watching Oprah. I have a truth, you have a truth, we all have a truth. Look under your seat right now, and you say, no. <laughs> and this is a, a worldwide view, how we, we see reality around us. It's that lens that we look through. But the world has this worldview that truth is infinitely pliable and that everyone should just live according to their authentic truth. But when you hear somebody say that there's no such thing as absolute truth, you know what you can ask them? Is that true? Because <laughs> their statement is self-defeating. They're saying that there is no such thing as absolute truth, but they're saying it like that's absolute truth. You see, you can take can't take relativism all the way without running into conflict. You can claim that you're going to live by your own truth until you have to read the label on a bottle of poison. In that moment, you realize that there are absolutes and that these absolute truths can bring consequences if not observed. Jesus stated that the word of God is true. And since it's true, it is in accordance with fact and reality. So it's true whether we believe it or not. It makes no difference what our opinion is. God's word is true. It's eternal. It's living. It's powerful. And it has the power to speak into our lives, into those innermost places. And it produces a fruit that only God can produce. And so this gives us a choice. How are we going to look at the world? What is our lens going to be like? How are we going to interpret our experiences and, and make our own decisions? It's the way that we answer the important questions of life. What's my origin story? Where do we come from? Is there meaning? What is the purpose of life? How should we live? Where are we going when we die? Our worldview determines our beliefs and our behaviors. But sometimes we go through life without even reflecting or examining these. What do we believe? For years, I picked and chose, you know, 
some of the, the world's view, some of the Christian worldview. But that doesn't work because God's word is true. We have to look to God's word as our guide. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so this morning, I wanted us to look at Psalm 119 because the thrust of this psalm is to lead people to make his word the anchor in our lives. You know, as we begin the new year, I don't know if you do this, I've done this for years, where you make a goal or you set a resolution, I'm going to read more in the Bible, and we even look up the Bible reading plans, trying to change habits of how we eat, you know, how we're going to get up early, 7 o'clock on Monday morning, and we're going to pray. We make all these resolutions, but it, it's more of a, you know, a, a feudalistic will because most people will read Genesis through 1 through 7, and that's the most read portion of the Bible because our resolution lasts about a week. But I want us to look at Psalm 119. And, and so let me give you just a little bit of background information. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the Bible. And it's not only the longest psalm, but it's the longest chapter in the Bible. 176 verses. So if you had any dinner plans, just uh, go ahead and scratch those right now. And uh, we're going to plow through this. No, we're not going to go through the entire passage in this sitting, but I do want to give us some background information on Psalm 119. And then I want to point out three anchors that we can find for life that's found in this psalm. Well, first and foremost, this psalm is a prayer that's overflowing from the psalmist's relationship to God. It echoes the author's uh, faith in the truth of God's word as his comfort and delight and guidance and encouragement. First thing you notice is that this psalm is different from all of the other psalms. It's arranged alphabetically. The stanzas of this poem form an acrostic, and each stanza is labeled with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza contains eight verses. So if you have 22 letters, eight verses each, that's 176 verses. And what is even crazier about this, I mean, that's enough that, you know, how the psalmist put that together. But each verse in the stanza begins with the letter that correlates to that stanza. And you might ask, well, why did the psalmist do that? The answer is that this arrangement helped in memorization and meditation of God's Word. Memorization is helpful for the purpose of hiding God's Word in our heart so that our decisions and our actions will be guided by it and be aligned with God's will. And then when we talk about meditation, first of all, 
no, this isn't the new age meditation where you try to empty your mind. This is a meditation where our mind is completely engaged, focused. It's um, where our, we think deeply about God's word. We ponder on it. You know, kind of like a cow that eats grass and then lays down, you know, when the sun comes up, gets in the cool of the shade of the trees and it just ruminates. You know, they have four stomachs. So they can ruminate for a long time. And then once it, it cools off, they go out and they eat grass again and the cycle begins over and over. And that's how we should be. We should either be like a cow that... that feeds on God's word and then thinks about it throughout the day. Or maybe we should be like a chicken. You know, we take a little bit of God's word and then we look up to heaven and we give thanks. <laughs> Sometimes we'll, we'll crow out our praise. Whatever you do, do it because it's out of a relationship with God not because you're just trying to get through a program. Scholars have referred to this psalm as the ABCs of the Bible. And in this psalm, you find a deep love and passion for the power of God's Word, which can do what nothing else can do. And so let's look at three anchors from God's Word that we find in Psalm 119. The first one is God's love is revealed in his word. In Psalm 119, verses 76 and 77, it says, May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. You know, the fact that God reveals himself to us shows that he wants us to know him. And this includes both thinking rightly about him and knowing him through that knowledge. He longs for us to know him, to enjoy and to trust him as our loving heavenly father. God's relationship to him, of himself is one of the, the ways that he loves us, and it's the door that opens up our friendship with God. He reveals aspects of himself in creation. Those that were up before seven this morning, how many of you enjoyed the beautiful sunrise that we had this morning? He reveals himself, how glorious, how magnificent, how spectacular just in a sunrise. He makes himself known in his word. And he sent his son to provide the perfect image of what the father is like. And through this story of scripture, God tells us what his will is for us. And he reveals what it's like in his words and deeds, who he is. He's a good father, and he trains us with the wisdom and knowledge we need to flourish in life. 
when we want to hear the Father speak to us, we need, when we need guidance or a soothing word or comfort or help, or just to bask in his presence, the Bible is how God talks to us and makes himself known to us. It's the voice of God communicating with us. We hear God's voice in the word and we can rest in the nearness of God that we find in it. Theologian J.I. Packer, he connects knowing God with listening to his voice in scripture. Here's what he said. And this is from uh, his book, Knowing God. It says, what happens is the almighty creator, the Lord of hosts, the great God before whom the nations are as a drop in the bucket, comes to you and begins to talk to you through the worlds of truth of Holy Scripture. Perhaps you've been acquainted with the Bible and Christian truth for many years, and it has meant little to you. But one day you wake up to the fact that God is actually speaking to you. You. Through the biblical message, you come to realize as you listen that God is actually opening his heart to you, making friends with you. See, God doesn't want us to live a miserable life. And just like an earthly father trains his children don't touch the hot stove. Don't play in the traffic. You know, don't hide your father's shoes. <laughs> he does that for our good so that we won't have to go through the hardships and the, the trouble that by not obeying it, most of us have had to go through. So God doesn't want us to be miserable. Have you found yourself miserable by the choices that you've made in life? Do you find yourself being down on yourself or down on others? Well, one of the first things that we must identify is what is it that we're saturating our minds with? Let's look at how David starts this psalm. Verses 1 and 2. It says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow his instructions, follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. You see, there's a promise from God that if we are anchored in his word, that we'll have joy. And joy is different than happiness. Joy is an internal something that only God can give. That isn't, uh, that's not changed by our conditions. We can be joyful in the midst of sorrow. That blows my mind, but as a Christian, I've experienced that. We did a memorial service yesterday morning. Our hearts were heavy. There was sorrow. But in knowing 
that death isn't the final end of the story. It gives us hope. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too shall be changed and we will be given life eternal if we believe in him. So God promises that if we anchor ourselves in his word, that we'll have joy. Verse 3 says, they do not compromise with evil and they walk only in his path. The only way for us to not compromise is to have God's word hidden in our hearts. Because when we have God's principles hidden in our hearts and at the forefront of our minds, then we can discern good from evil, healthy from destruction. It opens our understanding so that we can see that God loves us so much that he wants to guard our lives from sin. And a sin-filled life is a miserable life. Sin promises to bring fun and independence, but actually sin hurts not only you, but it hurts those around you. Well, let's continue, verse four through eight. You have changed us You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Don't give up on me. I love that the psalmist put that. Don't give up on me. Because that shows us that the psalmist makes room for the grace of God. He says, I will obey you, Lord. But when I don't, please don't give up on me. When we see our failures, it's encouraging for us to know that God, the one who loves us with an eternal love, is not going to give up on us. God is for you. And he wants everything that is good for your life. And that's the truth. The lie of sin is that God is out to condemn us or to suck the fun out of life. But a life that is truly marked by joy is a life that's aligned with God. The God who created us and knows us intimately wants us to know him and love him also infinitely. And so you'll find joy when you follow the purpose that God has for you. And God has revealed himself and has allowed us to know him. And he reveals his love in creation through his son and through his word. Well, the second anchor that we find in Psalm 119 is that God's word will empower you so you can live a victorious life. God doesn't want to keep anything from us that is good. His commands are there to keep us from heartache. The psalmist writes in verse 9, How can a young man stay pure? 
by obeying your word. Dwight Moody said, the Bible will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the Bible. And we must understand that when God says to obey, he's the one that gives us the power to obey him. The Holy Spirit dwells in each one and is transforming our lives so that not only do we begin to have the same characteristics of Christ, but we begin to renew our mind with God's word and our whole life is transformed. Now, yes, as long as we're in this flesh, we're always going to be growing and becoming more like Christ. It's not until he returns that we will be changed in the twinkling of the eye and be changed as he is. But the Holy Spirit will continue to develop in us self-control. And if we allow him to do so, he changes our character from the inside out. And one of the gems of Scripture is found in Psalm 119, verse 11, where it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And like I said earlier, the purpose of hiding God's word in your heart is so that our decisions and our actions will be guided by it. If the word is hidden in your heart, your responses in life will align with God's will. Verse 12 says, I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. And I love this. The psalmist teaches us that praise comes before our petitions and instructions. It shows us that it's relational. We're not just do this, don't do that. But it's because you say this and I love you and you love me that you empower me to walk according to your will. And I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Verse 13 through 16 says, I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. When I started Bible college when I was 17, I finished when I was 60, but uh, <laughs> when I started Bible college at age 17, I was taught the importance of reciting God's word out loud. Now, when I first saw you know, professors and, and students that I looked up to doing this, man, I thought they were crazy. It's like, just read your Bible. I'm going to read mine. I'm on Genesis 6 right now. <laughs> but I learned that there's power in that. When we speak truth, when we declare God's promises out loud over our lives, not only are we speaking it and declaring it 
so that others can hear it. But God has given us two ears. And we can hear God's word spoken over our lives. And that transforms us. And that's the third anchor that I find in Psalm 119 is that God's word will transform your life so you can experience a new you. Now when we first come to God, we come in a desperate state. We are spiritually dead. And Jesus gives us life, abundant life. And as we read the word of God and apply it to our life, we find that our lives are transformed. Our mind is renewed. Verse 25 says, I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. A great example of a transformed life was my father-in-law, Pedro de Coster. He was born in Mexico. But at the age of nine, his father passed away and he moved to San Antonio with his uncle and mother and other siblings. But his uncle was an angry and abusive man and he mistreated Pedro. I remember my father-in-law saying that they were so poor and Leonard mentioned this a little bit earlier so they were so poor, yet they had the, the best state-of-the-art air conditioning because there was a hole in their bedroom wall. So they had, in the winter, it was nice and cool. And in the summer, the heat was just incredible. So they had perfect heat and, and cool weather. Because of this hardship, he had to quit school in third grade. And he was sent to work selling newspapers on the streets in San Antonio. When he was 13, a missionary began visiting. Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up here. missionary began coming and visiting his uncle and consistently inviting him to church. And repeatedly, the uncle just ignored the missionary's invitations. Finally, to get the missionary off his back, he sent Pedro in his place. You can guess what happened. He accepted Christ as his Savior. And his life was radically changed. For the first time in his life, he experienced peace, joy. The hardships didn't change. In fact, they got worse. His uncle was angered because of his conversion and begin to mistreat him and beat him regularly. But at this Christian service where 
Pedro gave his life to Jesus, they also gave him his first Bible. And so this 13-year-old boy with a third grade education hid himself so that he could read God's word. And he began to read. It was difficult. Like I said, he only had a third grade education. But as he began to read God's word, God opened up his understanding. And a few months after this, his mom decided that he needed to go back to school. But because he hadn't finished his elementary, he couldn't be registered in the seventh grade. His reading improved as he read the Bible. Soon he was reading 50 chapters a day. Sometimes I have trouble reading 50 chapters a year. But as he continued in this, God continued to bless him and give him understanding. And in two years, he was able to finish his elementary school. And not only that, but his seventh and eighth grade as well, so that he started high school with his peers. And he graduated as valedictorian with a scholarship to the University of Texas in Austin. Well, Pedro moved back to Mexico where he finished his education in economics. And he held a position in the government of Mexico as Secretary of Industry and Commerce. And he even became one of the advisors to the president. That in itself shows the transformation of life. But in his spare time, my father-in-law founded five churches. He was a translator to Billy Graham in his evangelistic crusades. He was the board president of the Salvation Army and Mission Aviation Fellowship in Mexico, among other great accomplishments. But what stands out to me as the most important aspect of his life is that he always attributed that transformation of his life to the Word of God, opening up his understanding and giving him wisdom. Well, the psalmist continues in verses 26 through 29. It says, I told you my plans and you answered. You teach me your decrees. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. It's interesting that in this passage, the psalmist prays to, for God to keep him from self-deceit, from lying to himself. 
A lie is the opposite of the truth. What are some of the lies that you tell yourself? I'll give you three from my life. If I just had that next best thing, then I would be truly happy. I can live my life however I want to live it. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. None of these lies ever bring fulfillment. They don't bring the fulfillment of the promise of God. In fact, it is destructive. It destroys our soul. And that's why it's important also to speak God's word aloud. Speak the truth over your life. Don't speak lies into your life. Truth defeats the lie and strips it of its power. The truth that we need in life is found in the pages of God's word. And the purpose of God's word is to reveal the life offered to us in Christ. It's sometimes called God's love letter to us. Pointing us to God's love demonstrated by Jesus Christ on the cross. His death, his resurrection provided our salvation from sin in this life and gave us the assurance of eternal life for all who believe. With his word, God has extended his love to us. And if you ever feel that God is far away, that he's disconnected or disinterested or uncaring, I challenge you, pick up the love letter. God has written through, his, you know, the word of God is inspired or is breathed by God. And the writers wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God is speaking directly to us. And this word is active. It's alive. It changes our life. It gives us the direction that we need, the answers that we need. And that doesn't come from just willpower. It comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. God's the loving Father and he gives us direction and correction. But remember that he's for you. He doesn't want you to have to go through all the hardships. So this year, instead of making that resolution to read through the entire Bible just to fail, make the choice to read even a small portion, but do it consistently and meditate on what you read. Think about it. Ponder on it. Throughout your day, whether you're at school or work or at home, wherever you are, think about the words of God that you read in the morning. Let God speak to you. Like I say, you know, the, probably the most read verses of the Bible are Genesis 1 through 7 because you're 
If you do this in your willpower, you're going to last about a week. But if this becomes your delight, becomes your life, where you can't go through life without knowing what is God's will for my life, what's his purpose for me, and we find all those answers in God's word. So instead of making it a futile exercise of, of reading the Bible, just delight in it. Enjoy it. Let God speak to you, whether it's one verse or whether it's chapters. Don't set those harsh regulations because that's not the intention of the Bible. The intention is to transform our lives, to show us who God is, how he responds to us in love and what our response should be to him in love and in service. And so that's my challenge to you as well as to me that this year we will make the word of God a delight, that we will take the time each day to feed upon God's word and allow him to transform our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. That through your word, you created everything. And everything was created by your word and for your word. And Jesus is that word. He shows us perfectly who you are. And so, Lord, this year I pray that you would spark that, that relationship in our lives where we will continue to build on our relationship with you as we learn who you are and we know you and that in that transformation, Lord, we would make you known wherever we're at. Lord, that the word of God that is hidden in our hearts would be ready upon our lips. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, what you've done this past year and what you're going to do this year. And we yield to the Holy Spirit to work in us, to transform us, to continue to make us more like Christ in his character and in his actions. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing and the joy of walking in your paths. In Jesus' name, amen.
mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we worship you. Wonderful rest of your week and we'll see you next time.